0: 24 of all that Jesus said but undoubtedly he would have gone back to Genesis chapter 3 and the fact that there's going to be the seed of the woman who's going to be the solution to sin Genesis 3.15 and then uh, the, the sacrificial system that uh, was implemented in the law of, of Moses pointing to a sacrifice that would ultimately, ultimately come so undoubtedly he was doing that as, as well And even before the formal sacrificial system, you had sacrifice starting. Uh, Going back to Genesis 4, remember that Cain and Abel brought offerings. Uh, And uh, one brought uh, an animal offering, the other brought a uh, produce offering. Resulted in the first, first murder. But even prior to that, at the end of Genesis chapter 3, God himself gives animal skins to cover Adam and Eve after they have sinned which implies the killing of an animal on behalf of of others. So you have all of that, then you have the formal sacrificial system, and then that's Moses, and then you've got the prophets, and the prophets say uh, a host of things about the one who would come, where he would be born. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 tells us that he would be born in in Bethlehem. Um, Even the, the timing of when he would be born, you know, that the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 talks about uh, the Messiah being cut off and gives a whole time scheme there. It's, fa- it's fascinating in Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. Daniel 9, 24 to 27. And then famously in Isaiah chapter 53 uh, that talks about the suffering servant who will come and the fact that he will suffer and die in Isaiah 53. So, You know, Jesus undoubtedly just went through through all of that with them. But he starts with Moses and the prophets. He goes back to the beginning. He doesn't assume that they they know all of this. And so we probably shouldn't uh, assume that people know that either. Now, just a side comment on verse 27 there again. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Sometimes people mistake that to mean that all the scriptures are uh, concerning himself. Not every scripture in the Old Testament is concerning Christ, but there are plenty of them that are, and Jesus undoubtedly showed, him, showed them, many, if not all, of those that, that do. So I would just encourage you to, to be careful about the idea that you, you need to find Jesus in every verse of the Old Testament. Let the Old Testament speak uh, for itself, but as it does, you're going to find plenty in there about the one who is to come, and the one who's going to be the king, and uh, the one who is going to suffer and die, and and all of that. So on page 31, under that box, what events from Moses and all the prophets do you think that Jesus may have explained to them, and why? Why? I have done you the favor so that you don't have to think about any of this. I just, uh, I just give you the answers and, and then we move on. Okay? So with all of that as the background, the material is trying to push us toward this understanding that we need to start earlier. That you don't just jump in and assume things. That being the case, page 32. And page 32 is about uh, these two common ways to study theology and present the, the gospel. The first one is systematic theology. So systematic theology. Theology is just a, it means literally the study of God. And then systematic theology then is a systematic study of, of God. And the system piece of it is these categories, these boxes that you see there. And commonly, systematic theology is broken up into these ten categories. And so you can have uh, the title of volumes of books on theology that the title is, all, is the same. Systematic theology. Very creative. I've got on my shelf multiple <coughs> title, books titled the same thing. Just systematic theology. And the only difference is who wrote this particular Systematic theology, and they are often divided up exactly the same way. They've got these ten categories, heads of sometimes called heads of systematic theology, and what it does is it takes uh, what the Bible says on a particular topic of theology and pulls it all together, and then seeks to harmonize it and explain it and all of that. And the systematic theology is is fascinating, and uh, systematic theology is important. And highly recommended uh, to you. Uh, so if you ever want to get a systematic theology, we have some in our, we have some in our resource center. Uh, John MacArthur has one there. Uh, Roland McCune has a three-volume set. He's with the Lord now, but he was my theology professor in seminary. So we've got his systematic uh, theology as, as well. Uh, but there are lots of them that, that are very helpful uh, if, you, if you are able to find the time. If you're not able to find the time to read one of these sometimes massive uh, systematic theologies, then you should find the time to take our class, Master Plan for Life. And that is one of our two foundational classes that we recommend for everybody to to take to get grounded in their, their faith. And we teach it every other year, in the fall, on Wednesday nights. And this is the every other year. So this fall, we'll be doing Master Plan for Life. If you never never taken Master Plan for Life, then you should. Uh, and it goes two semesters. Uh, so it'll start in the fall and it'll continue after January. And I call Master Plan for Life a systematic theology for regular people. So it's systematic theology. It does divi- It's divided up into these doctrines of God and the scriptures and Christ and humanity and salvation and all of that. Uh, but it's you know just at waste level so you don't get lost and all of the terminology and, and all of that, and you got a simpleton teaching it to you, so you don't have to worry about don't have to worry about it being over your head. So that's what systematic the- theology uh, is. Most gospel presentations, it says, under the boxes there, page thirty-two. Created in the Western world, follow the topical pattern of systematic theology. These generally focus on a series of logically ordered theological questions or topics such as what is God like? What's the basic human need? What is God's provision for that need? How do we receive God's provision? And that's all based upon this collecting and collating of information from various parts of the Bible under these, these headings. The box there, using systematic theology is not a problem for people who have a worldview that's been strongly influenced by exposure to Christianity. But if you present these gospel, biblical concepts to those who do not know their context that is they knew nothing about the Bible's plot line or the big story then that raises the question how will they really understand them so that's where then there's another way to study theology and that's called biblical theology and when they call when we call the one biblical theology it doesn't mean the other one is unbiblical theology or anti biblical Uh, biblical theology Uh, instead of gathering information from various parts of the Bible starts at the beginning and then moves forward and you pick up the plot line you pick up the narrative in fact the the larger narrative of the story as you as you move forward and so that's it's taking the whole Bible and starting at the beginning getting the getting the story and so that's the reason it's called biblical theology Under that title, on page 32, in the Bible, God progressively revealed truths to mankind, and we can study them in a manner consistent with the way that he revealed them, looking for the first occurrences of doctrinal truths and then learning more about them as God gradually unveiled them to us in the progressing development of the Bible's big story. So, the first category, God. Well, where does, that, where does that start in biblical theology? Well, it starts at the very beginning, it turns out. In the beginning, God. So we learn something at the very beginning of the Bible about, about God. And as we move forward in the Bible, we learn more about God. And that's what the bottom of page 32 is, is depicting. You see on the left there, Genesis 1.1, very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then, notice that the arrow is moving forward to the very end of the Bible, Revelation. 22, but it's getting wider because our knowledge of God is is getting wider as we as we go. So, oh, look at that man! How cool is that? Now, I'm, pride goes before fall because I'm going to try to show an eight-minute clip here in a little bit. <laughs> we'll see what happens with with that. So, there's that's theology theology uh, proper. And then, um, you know, if you move forward, you would see see others as well. So now, here is uh, our eight-minute video uh, coming up here. So let me describe what the eight-minute video is about. This is eight minutes of about an hour-long video that is at least 30 years old. And I saw it when it uh, first came out. And it's about uh, some Western missionaries, American missionaries, who went to Papua, New Guinea to uh, bring the gospel to people who had never heard it. And this tribe of people who had never heard the gospel is the, the Mok uh, tribe, the Mok people. And at first, when these missionaries went, they were going to do what a lot of missionaries do, and they were going to take kind of a systematic theology approach. But they realized, these guys know nothing about what we're talking about. We're going to have to back this up and and start at the beginning. And so they did. So the whole thing is uh, quite a fascinating story. But here is just eight minutes uh, of it that will give you the, the gist of what they were able to do and accomplish by starting at the beginning and moving forward, okay. So we'll watch it if uh, if it works. Okay. Oh. All right. There's bibliology, angelology, <laughs> anthropology. That would be the doctrine of humanity. And hamartiology. That would be the doctrine of sin. Some of you. Some of you are experts on that one. <laughs> Shall remain nameless. Alright, so here's the an e tau is the name of this. And e tau is in the mock language. It means it is true. And uh, so that's the name of the of the video. Okay. It's gonna work. Okay.
1: What is not so obvious is how they view life, what they believe. Happy-go-lucky in the outside does not mean life without fear on the inside. It takes determined study to know them, and often the grim facts are not pleasant.
2: As we studied their way of life and how they thought, one of the things that stood out was the constant fear and deception that people lived in. One area involved their dead ancestors. The men would dress up in a large mask and dance around the village. They believed that this was the spirit of a dead ancestor returned. The men told us that the women did not know that it was them who wore the mask they kept the mask hid in, in a special place reserved only for men. They explained to us that if a ever saw the mask by itself, or if she let on, she knew about the mask, and that it was only a man who wore it and not a spirit, for that woman, the penalty
1: was death. When I was a little boy, my mother saw the mask by itself. As was custom, My very powerful father asked my mother to die when he died. When my father died, my mother was shown the mask. Her two brothers took her to the woods. They did not want to, but they had to. Our beliefs demanded it. They put a bark rope around her neck. I was very young, but I remember it well. My mother was young. I loved her. My mother died because she saw the mask by itself. We lived in fear. Time
2: goes by the day, the night, and they don't know. Children cry, men live, they die, and they have no hope. So many people just existing,
1: Their fates are strong. They're all wrong. Their gods just can't win. They tremble at the thought of them. The sun, the moon, the birds, the spirits, oh how. What you truly believe does affect what you do, sometimes with tragic consequences. Well, a day does come, though, when you do know enough of their language and how they think to explain to them the Word of God. Now, the question is this, where do you start? The Bible is a big book. And none of these Moke tribal people had any previous exposure to God's Word. Before we could start teaching, we
2: had to prepare Bible lessons. Our tribal language helper, who was not a believer at that time, was the key to getting the proper Bible terminology we needed. Even before we started to teach, the book seemed to sense a wonderful message was coming. When the teaching finally started, the entire village of 310 people gathered. We never mentioned Jesus Christ until after two months of teaching Old Testament foundational stories. The first day, we began by showing them a map of their village. Then we showed them where the surrounding moat villages were located on that map. From this point, we explained to them progressively where they were located in relationship to the neighboring tribal groups, where in the province they were located, where the province was located in the country of Papua New Guinea, and where Papua New Guinea was in relationship to Australia, Japan, United States, and Israel. Then we explained how the Bible, God's talk, many years ago had come from Israel to Europe, and then around the world, and was now coming to them, the Mo people. In the second lesson We discussed how different people groups believe they arrived here on this earth The most people believed They were created by two different birds When we told them That some people in our country Believed they evolved from an ape-like creature They said They're stupid <laughs> We asked them Out of all of these beliefs, which one is correct? And they said, we don't know. Then we told them, this is why God has given his written word to mankind and it never changes. Starting with God, we explained what he is like, his attributes. Then we told them about Satan and his fallen angels. The moat felt that hell is a fitting place for Satan and that God was right in preparing it for him and his demons. From there we taught them about creation and Adam and Eve and man's choice to sin. We explained how God promised a Savior who would someday come to deliver us from sin. Other Old Testament stories followed in which we emphasized God's greatness and grace man's lostness in sin and helpless condition, and God's provision of a blood sacrifice through the killing of a lamb. Often we use drama to help them understand what we were teaching. When we told how God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, it presented a dilemma.
1: Abraham was obviously a godly man, so he would obey God. But it was through Isaac that the Savior of the world was promised to come. I knew that somehow Abraham would obey, but God would save Isaac's
0: life, perhaps with a substitute lamb.
2: Before we finish the story, four different men individually suggested that Abraham would obey God, but God would somehow intervene and save Isaac's life by providing a substitute lamb. They developed a sincere reverence of God and feared daily that God might rightly destroy them because of their sin. They said, We are just like those people in Sodom and Gomorrah. For two months, we taught key Old Testament stories chronologically before we finally introduced Jesus Christ as the Savior born as a babe in this world. As we studied the life of Christ, they fell in love with him, and Jesus became the moat hero. They loved him,
1: and they idolized him. Never during the weeks Mark taught, did a villager miss a lesson, though he taught for three months, Monday through Friday, two times a day. Villagers that were sick were brought on makeshift stretchers. And when an expectant mother was near delivery, they arranged for her to be close enough to the meeting to hear the story. The baby arrived in the middle of one of the sessions, but the teaching still went on. At times the moat were so intense they stopped eating and would not even sleep. They spent every waking moment discussing the message and re-listening over and over again to the lessons recorded on cassette tapes. This wonderful Jesus was perfect, and He could do anything. He was God. They finally came to explain a betrayal by Judas and a trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Judas' betrayal was upsetting to the most, but they
2: still had faith that somehow Jesus would escape. That was the last story we told them before the gospel presentation. At the end of it we said, tomorrow we will finish our talk. next morning the people were all gathered before sunrise i told the story of jesus appearing before pilate the people were very sober when during our skit they saw jesus being spit upon beaten and finally put to death they were simply appalled they were distraught they couldn't believe what they were seeing Because the death and shedding of blood is so significant to the gospel story, we had rigged a balloon filled with colored water to be pierced by our designated Roman soldier. It was when they saw the blood that the story began to take on significance. Our explanation and portrayal of Jesus Christ's resurrection was simple, but to them very powerful. The Savior was alive. Then I went back into the Old Testament story and beginning with Abel, explained how Jesus was our acceptable sacrifice just like Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. When I finally reached the story of Abraham and Isaac I said to them, Listen, just as a real lamb was substituted for Isaac, so Christ's death and blood has been shed as a substitution for you. At that point, the lights really went on. I could see and hear them responding all over the crowd. I believe! I believe! I believe! I stood in their midst and asked them what they thought. From all over, responses came like this. I know I was born in sin. I believe Jesus paid for my sins, that He died in my place. He is my sin bearer.
1: I lived in fear, trying to please the spirits, for I knew no other way to be free from sin. But God, in His grace, has sent you to us. I've heard it and believe the death and blood of Christ is payment for my sin. I believe it, and God has forgiven me. On that day, almost all the village expressed belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a sense of tremendous relief. The Mokar, are generally a restrained people. But as the gospel sunk in, and new believers sensed the liberation from sin, spontaneous rejoicing broke out. Watch what happened.
2: Watch what happened.
1: Village believer stating that he, too, believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Ital, which means it's true or it's good. It's very true. Village grammar rejoicing that he believes. So does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. It's good. It's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours.
0: So the power of understanding the message, and then God giving a spiritual life as a result of, of understanding. And so that is what the material has been leading up to is to have us be convinced that we as evangelists, giving the gospel, the evangel, that we need to be willing to be as patient as necessary and start at the beginning if, if necessary. And go through it with people in a painstaking, painstaking way, but with the hope that they'll come to the point that that these folks did. And so, if you'll look at page 34, they're selling stuff on page 34, but but at the bottom bottom half on the left. The ABWE Good Soil Evangelism and Discipleship Project. So that's what we are doing, the Good Soil END scale. That was that scale we kept showing for the first few weeks, evangelism and discipleship. We're doing the evangelism piece, not the discipleship piece, uh, but the evangelism piece. ABWE is the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. So that's the organization that has put this together. And on the left there, bottom half of page 34, in developing our e d resources, we wanted to be sure our materials would work effectively anywhere in the world with minimal adaptation in any country and culture, provide as much Bible content and context as necessary for people to make a good soil faith response, be rooted in a chronological presentation of God's big story of redemption be expandable and contractable, making it possible to present that redempted story from 15 minutes to 50 hours. So they have other materials besides the one that we're going to see that is kind of the heart of their material, the, their main study. But sometimes you don't have that much time. Sometimes someone can't commit that much time. And so they do have shorter versions of, of the same thing. And if you look at the right side of that page, page 34, the book at the top is called the the story of hope the story of hope and that is your next workbook I kept for the last few weeks saying, hey we got another workbook over here that we'll give to you so I'm gonna make good on that promise now to give you your new workbook Terry will you help pass these out please thank you sir you pass out on this side pass out over here thank you Matthew yes 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 everybody have one Need one? Yeah, just put them there. Thank you, sir. All right. So this is your second notebook that you've been given, and if you lose it, oh, worse. This uh, is—we've developed the doctrine of purgatory for people that lose their book. Okay. So we are going to be for the next few weeks going through the story of hope. So the first thing they want you to do on page uh, uh, 35 is browse through, top of page 35, browse through the story of hope and with your study group look through the story of hope and comment on what stands out to you as positive. So just kind of thumb through and jot down, please. We'll take a few minutes for you to do that. What stands out as something positive? You may remember I had you guys the other day writing some things down, and people didn't write anything down. Yeah, uh, okay. So there will be none of that. Okay. So James says one of the positives is the religious art. Yes. Uh huh. So you know, there's another place besides purgatory. Purgatory is a playground compared
1: to <laughs> <laughs> Ken, have you heard of the Jesus Storybook? It's like a it's like uh four kids, but it's okay. it's called the Jesus Storybook by
0: the We probably have it. We yeah. we probably used it with our daughters, but That's what's going on here yes. yeah 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 absolutely. And they've got a kid's version of this as well but yeah that's the idea. All right a couple more minutes for you to come up with your five things. five positive things. guys that put the good soil stuff together do know about who that man was and, and all of that. When we, uh, Keith and I, went in September to take training on this, uh, they, they knew him personally. Yeah, He's, uh, he's, uh, he's still alive. obviously Still alive. Still alive retired, obviously. But, uh, yeah. Now, as far as what is happening with the Moak tribe, I don't know. However, just this week, many of you know in our church Jessica Sauter uh, Pastor Rich's daughter Anthony, our music guy, his wife Jessica, she was just asking me if I know of any uh, organizations that can help a friend of hers who's building a school in Papua New Guinea uh, to, to help with financing of this thing and I say Papua New Guinea and then I tell her this whole, this whole story so I want to find out what that gal who's building the school and Papua New Guinea knows about this story. If you're from there, you have to at least know the story and you know what kind of ongoing fruit there is in the lives of the people there. So we'll 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 have Jess find that out for us. Okay. All right. So give me some positive things.
1: Looks very well organized. Okay. Like it's Thank really you.
0: hashed out Okay. Ways. All right. Thank you. Well organized.
1: Stats on the Bible, you
0: know? Say. Okay. All right. All right. I like it. Yes, ma'am. Um, I feel like it, like it mimics the, the story. Yeah. And that it goes through just this order of key events in the Bible right. and then you get to the end and then it's like this. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. You get that feeling of them like so. Yeah. When you get to this part. Right. Yeah. Good. So it kind of moves ahead and then comes to that climax at the end. Yeah. Very good. Okay, it's positive, mm-hmm. sir. Okay, that's that's true. It's nice, nice and thin. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess the pictures help, you know, too. It takes nice. some of the intent. No, like the yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like the bottom part that's in mm-hmm. yellow. About, um, yeah, what is the yeah. It yeah. There you go. Each story down at the bottom, you got the yellow piece. Yeah. From our curriculum creator over here. that's good. It's good to hear. Well, very good. Thank you guys, for uh, some input on that. So a lot of a you know, number of positive things about, about the, the material. lot to like about it, I hope. And take a look at the table of contents. So if you go to just the first couple of pages, pages uh, page three. Right? Yeah, and on page three, you've got the table of contents. And the middle two headings the story of hope begins in the Old Testament, continues through the New Testament. And notice what, what you have you have uh, 20, if you were to count those, you have 20 in each part of the Bible. So you have 20 themes in the Old Testament, you have 20 themes in the, in the New Testament. Now, do you see any in those 40 overall themes, any that might jump out to you as, man, that's one of my favorite parts of the Bible, or something that I've wanted to know more about? Any of those? Lucifer. Okay, a well, lot want to know more about. Probably not your favorite part. So he got kicked out. Yeah, that's good. He's he takes okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Very good. Anybody else? Hmm. Yes. Yes. On the cross, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Yeah. Amen well then you take take those 40 and now let's think a little bit about why why these 40 because the Bible is a big book lots of there's the overall narrative but then there are these narratives with sub-narratives so the fancy term is the overall narratives the meta-narrative and then there are narratives with within that that make up the whole story but there's more than 40 you could have picked other they could have picked other ones so So now why these? Why these 40? I'm going to give you uh, a reason, uh, and we'll go through some of these 40 to show why these these 40. But what do you think? What, What rubric might they have, structure might they have used to pick these particular stories? What might they be hanging all of this on? There you go there you go hey you guys, you guys are great okay so the eight essential gospel truths and the reason that they've chosen these 40 is because these 40 then give content to each of those eight things now what are those eight things sorry you've got two books in your lap now but I'll, I'll give them to you uh, verbally but they're on page 16, if you have your other notebook, the, the 8, and some other places. Actually, they're in your Story of Hope book, too. Yeah, page right? 3. Oh, page 3, okay. <laughs> I'm not that <laughs> All right, it's on page 3 in your Story of Hope book. Oh, right at the bottom there. I, I'm looking right at it. Thank you. Down at the bottom. So, very bottom of the table of contents, you've got the 8. You guys see them? God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, and life. So with that then, let's let's take a look at these 40 and see how those eight are being dealt with. So the first couple uh, on pages 12 and 13, the first couple of lessons are on the eternal God and the creation of the earth. So that's dealing with the first of the eight, right? That's dealing with God. The Creator of God, the eternal God, obviously, is dealing with God. And then this God is the creator as well. So the first two on pages 12 and 13 are dealing with, with God. Uh, then you've got the creation of mankind. that's obviously dealing with man, so that or humanity. That's the second of the eight. And then pages 15 and 16 deal with the fall of Lucifer and the beginning of human sin. So that's the third of the eight. Those two are dealing with, with sin. Page 17, the origin of death. And so that's the fourth of the eight. That's, uh, that's death. Now we're going to see some of these again in other themes, but so far they're going in in order of the eight. And then there's the promise of a Satan conqueror. Uh, I mentioned that when I talked about Jesus speaking to those two disciples in Luke 24 and he probably went to Genesis 3:16 and said there's gonna be this one who's gonna come through the seed of the woman that's gonna crush the head of the the serpent and so that's what they mean there by the promise of a Satan conqueror and so that's dealing with the the fifth of the eight Christ the provision of coverings. Remember God killing the animals and, uh, and giving coverings to Adam and Eve? So that too is pointing to, to Christ. Now you come to, though, uh, so, so far we've dealt with five of the eight, and then we'll start repeating some of these. The banishment from the garden, and then later there's the great flood that destroys the world, all humanity except eight people in the flood of Noah's time those two together are about death and and punishment so in these in these 8 when they talk about death they made it a point earlier to say it's death but it's also death as judgment on sin and so those two on pages 20 and 21 are about that death and and punishment and then over on the right side those 10 remaining themes from the Old Testament. As you bounce through those, you've got the promises made to, to Abraham that in your seed all of the nations, uh, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. You've got the offering of Isaac, but then the substitute that we saw uh, earlier. You know, Moses as a prophet, and the Bible says that there is going to come one like you, Moses who's going to be a prophet greater than than Moses the plagues uh, the Exodus I mean all the the Ten Commandments the the tabernacle the bronze serpent held up in the in the wilderness the king and then the prophecies would come inside mean, really all of those as far as I can tell they all relate to Christ that all ten of those relate to relate to Christ and by the time you go through this with someone then, and you've laid that foundation of 20 themes from the first part of the Bible, they are now primed, uh, kind of like the tribe was, for the rest of the, the story in the New, New Testament. And so look at the New Testament 20 themes and which of those eight that they deal with. Well, there's the birth of Jesus. Of course, that deals then with The fifth one, Christ. There's now the temptations by by Satan. All right, so what's that dealing with? You could say temptation is dealing with sin. That's okay, could be. But as we look at that lesson later, we're going to see that Christ uh, passed that test. First thing that happens in the Uh, adult ministry of Jesus, first thing that happens, Matthew chapter 4, so you know the first three chapters are just bringing you up to his adulthood, tells you about his birth and all of that, Uh, but then he's a man and he's starting his earthly ministry, he's 30, we don't get a whole lot about his childhood in in the Bible, and in Matthew chapter 4, first thing that happens is Satan tempts him Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And both Matthew and Luke deal with the birth narratives of Jesus. And then quickly, by the time you get to the fourth chapter, he's a man starting his earthly ministry and he's being tempted. But he passes the temptation. He doesn't succumb. He succeeds. He succeeds where Adam failed. And you are clued in right away. This is, there's good news here. Because the Adam who represented us way back in the story, and banishment from the garden and all of that, now there's another representative who is tempted like he was, but he succeeds. We will see when we get to that, that he is called uh, the last Adam. So you have the first Adam, and then you have Jesus, the last Adam. And both of them represented a group of people beyond themselves. Adam represented all of humanity. Jesus represented those who will come to him as Savior. And he succeeded where Adam failed. So, temptations of Satan, what does that mean? Of those eight, what's it it talking about? Do you guys remember that I added a ninth one? Anybody remember that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, the life of Christ. The righteous life of Christ. And so I I would suggest to you that that's really what that's about. That that Jesus does everything right. And that we are going to get our righteousness from Jesus as a result of that. So you could write next to that righteousness slash life. Life is one of the, the eight essential truths because we get our life from the fact that Jesus lived this righteous life that was acceptable to God the Father. All right, John the Baptist's proclamation that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's about Christ. And then you've got this in, these two encounters, one with a, a religious leader and the, another with a Samaritan woman. The religious leader is in John chapter 3. The Samaritan woman is in John chapter 4. So in successive chapters, you have two very different people that Jesus encounters. A religious leader who has it all together, at least externally, but who can't put it together. And then you have the Samaritan woman who clearly doesn't have anything together, but Jesus is able to proclaim to her freedom from her enslavement to sin. So two very different uh, people. And that's... All about sin, I would say, and the the fact that it's universal. That sin applies equally to the religious guy as much as it does to the, um, the Samaritan woman. Claims of oneness with God that Jesus makes on page 37, that's about Christ. Of course, teachings about hell that is again death and judgment the miracles of Jesus show who he claimed to be to be in fact true so it's about Christ those bottom two, the betrayal of Jesus and the appearances before unjust judges are about the cross as is the crucifixion of Jesus And then you got the rep- repentant dying thief you guys remember that you got the three crosses Jesus is in the middle one is mocking Jesus. Uh, the other one uh, just says simply to him, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says, this day, you will be, this day you will be with me in paradise. What a beautiful thing. Right? I mean, this guy has lived a life, a worthless life and, and worse. And yet in his dying breath, Jesus says, today you'll be with me. Because it's not about you, it's about me. I mean, that's what... It's about me, it's about what I've done for you in covering your sin, and I'm doing that right now. And, so, and notice what the guy says. He's not, it's not much of a theological treatise there, is it? Remember me. So this is about the faith response. Remember faith, trust. He's trusting Christ. So he doesn't have, he doesn't have a huge... And uh, Alistair Begg has this famous thing about, about that guy right? Uh, Alistair Begg uh, says, imagine that guy showing up at the pearly gates. And Peter says, uh, hey, why should we be letting you in here? And uh, you know, can you tell us about your justification? The guy goes, I have no idea what any of that is. You know? And you know, he can't pass any kind of a test. He says, well, what are you doing here? And he says, the guy on the middle cross said I could come. And that's all that matters is that Jesus has taken care of it in his life and death. So the repentant dying thief, that's faith, that's that's trust. The resurrection of Jesus, I'd suggest to you again that that's about that life of Christ, the, the righteousness. Here's why. Because the Bible teaches that Jesus was raised because of his righteous life. That he was raised... Here's what Romans 4.25 says. Romans 4.25, he was raised for our justification. Raised for our justification. Justification means to be declared righteous. God, the righteous judge, declares guilty people like us to be righteous. He was raised for us to be declared righteous. What's his resurrection got to do with that? Here's what it's got to do with that. The reason he was raised is because his entire life pleased God the Father. And God the Father raised him, showing that he accepted the entirety of his obedient life as totally righteous and thus could be applied to us, and so we could be justified. So it's, his resurrection is about righteousness. If anybody ever asks you, hey, what's the resurrection mean? I mean, it means a bunch of stuff, but it means what I just, what I just told you principally. The ascension of Jesus. You know, this is about the fact that he's alive and that he's coming again and so that we will have life, the last of those eight. Life eternal. Peter proclaims the good news. That's about life, spiritual life. Jesus' return for believers and return as king. Those are both about our future eternal life. Satan's doom and The dreadful destiny for unbelievers, that's the theme of death and judgment again. And then the last one, our blissful destiny is eternal life. So in these 40, and the reason for these 40 is because embedded in them are these eight essential truths. Okay. So what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is going through that so that then you and, and I will be able to go through it with somebody else to hopefully... See them come to Christ, okay? All right, thanks.